Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, a power ranking of the greatest moments in Jets postseason history as well as an interview with the chef and owner of Feast Cafe Bistro, Krista Bruno Gunther. Let's roll. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I had to wait until Thursday night to record this one because I don't want to jinx who the Jets' second-round matchup could be just yet. And just a reminder, by the way, in case you forgot, the Jets are in the second round because they swept the Oilers into oblivion and out of the playoffs. So just wanted a a little recap for everybody that might have forgot that happened earlier this week. Hell yeah. But the Habs stay alive for another day. And, I mean, hey, who knows? Fans in the stands in Montreal for Game 6, maybe they'll push this one the distance and either way send a tired opponent out there to face the Jets in Round 2. So we'll have our preview and prediction show for Round 2 for the Jets coming up on Tuesday's episode. But like I mentioned at the top, you know, I thought we'd have a bit of fun with today's episode since the Jets are off and... You know, there's not a lot of positivity in Manitoba at the moment right now. So let's push that aside. Let's keep the good vibes going when it comes to the Jets. Keep this one nice and light and breezy. I wanted to know where Kyle Connors triple OT winner to sweep the Oilers ranks in Jets 2.0 playoff history. It's a pretty monumental moment for any franchise to have a defining play like that, especially with the history this team, this franchise has had against the Oilers going back 20, 30 years. But once I started thinking about it, I really wondered where it would stack up when it comes to the best of, you know, albeit a, a brief postseason history here in the Peg. So I'm going to get into my rankings in just a second here, but let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki or at the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Let me know what your rankings are, and yell at me about mine if you want to, too. Um, I'm, I mean, obviously these are going to be subjective, but I'm fascinated to see if I'm way off base with mine, or if this is the popular sentiment and everybody kind of agrees on this one. I'm really intrigued to see where you guys rank Kyle Connor's OT winner. So I'll get into my rankings here. What I did, so there's been seven playoff series in total since the Jets returned to Winnipeg, so... I picked one moment from each series and then ranked them one through seven. 
So we'll see if Kyle Connor cracks the top of the list for myself and we'll see if maybe you guys eventually come to agree with me once I get to all of my rankings here. So we'll start off and you know what it's funny because the the bottom three were really easy for me to figure out. Two of those involve series losses which always makes it easier to rank when it comes to this because the Jets actually have won a couple of playoff series since they've come back. The bottom two were really easy. So we'll start at number seven, the least memorable moment when it comes to best moments in Jets 2.0 playoff history. Let's go to last year because that playoff kind of sucked. You know, it wasn't an intriguing matchup right out of the gate, but Shifley goes down, Line A goes down, not really a lot of hope for Winnipeg, and they, they're, they're able to win one game but eventually fall to the Flames in the play-in series. But my best moment from that one is going to be Nikolai Ehlers getting off the playoff schneid. Not a whole lot to break down here, but it was just nice to kind of push that narrative aside moving forward. And it's funny because, you know, going into that series, a lot of people wanted to move Nick Ehlers out of Winnipeg because he wasn't a playoff performer. He hadn't got it done when it mattered most. And look at how that narrative has just completely shifted in the other direction. I mean, Nick Ehlers is the Game 3 hero for the Winnipeg Jets in their series against the Oilers. Think how differently that series goes if the Jets and if Nikolai Ehlers doesn't score in that one. I was always of the mindset that, look, Pavel Datsuk historically was a brutal playoff performer to kick off his career with Detroit. He had even worse numbers than Nikolai Ehlers did. I guess it was just the fact that Ehlers hadn't scored, and for some reason, goals have more importance than assists you come playoff time. But Pavel Datsu, I'm pretty sure, turned it around pretty well in his career, and a lot of people would take him on their team when it comes to clutch time. And I thought Nikolai Ehlers would kind of follow a similar path. And I think it's fair to say that Nikolai Ehlers' question marks when it comes to the postseason are now non-existent, so... You know, a pretty forgetful series for the Winnipeg Jets, but at least one positive came out of it. Nikolai Ehlers getting his first playoff goal is moment number seven in Jets 2.0 playoff history. Number six, we go back to the matchup against the St. Louis Blues. That was a series most memorable on the negative side. Legend has it Jacob Truba is still trying to hold that puck in the corner with 30 seconds to go. That led to one of the Jets... Late second collapses against the Blues in that one. There was also the Game 6 complete no-show where the Jets had like four or five shots through 40 minutes of play. It, it was just not a great series all around. But there was an OT winner in that one. Kyle Connor grabbed it. That really was it. That was the only positive that kind of came out of that series was Kyle Connor got his first OT playoff goal. And, and wouldn't you know it, none of us knew it at the time, but was also the last time Dustin Bufflin would suit up for the Winnipeg Jets. Or in the NHL at all. So that, that was just a series full of, of negativity looking back on it. We'll move on here to some brighter times. Including our first check-in on a series the Jets actually won. Number 5 on the list. It's our first entry into the magical playoff run that was 2018. And the least memorable of the three series... For the Winnipeg Jets, it was actually the opener, the opening series against the Minnesota Wild. The real intrigue going into that matchup was just, are the Winnipeg Jets finally going to win their first playoff series? They were overwhelming favorites. 
I believe Ryan Suter was either injured all series or he missed most of the series, something like that. There was just really no way if Winnipeg played solid that they were going to lose that matchup. So that's why it fits in at number five on the list. I'm going to go with, you know, and I know Joe Morrow scored the first game-winning goal in Jets playoff history, and that was an awesome moment for a guy that was, you know, basically a journeyman and came over at the deadline for a late-round pick. But I'm going to go with Dustin Bufflin setting the tone with a couple of monster hits early on in the series, letting the NHL know that, yeah, Big Buff is here and, and he's ready to go. One of those was on... Erickson Eck, I believe. The other one on Miku Koivu. The Erickson Eck one, too, I think. He ended up like almost like a breakdancing move spitting on his head. It's just, it was it was buff at his absolute best. And I made this statement at the time, and I'll still stick by it a few years later. I don't think in that run in 2018, I don't think you could name three more impactful players on the planet than Dustin Bufflin. I thought Dustin Bufflin, and, and maybe it was just being overshadowed by, you know, Shifley even on his own team, setting the uh, the the playoff goals record. You had Ovechkin running to the cup. You had the, the Vegas Golden Knights shocking the sports world. But I just thought, especially through the first two series of that playoffs, that we finally saw the pinnacle of Dustin Bufflin's powers. And that just equaled one of the best players on the planet. To me, he was the best defenseman on the planet, but just flat out one of the best players in the playoffs. It really was a special stretch of games that we were all fortunate enough to see in Winnipeg up close in person. Now, we get into the top four, and this is where things are about to get really interesting. Because we have two playoff wins and two series losses mixed in here. This is, it's just, it's so weird saying this, but I actually have to go Kyle Connor's triple OT winner at about 1.15 a.m. here in Winnipeg, ending decades of futility against the Edmonton Oilers as the number four moment in terms of best moments in Jets 2.0 playoff history. It sounds so ridiculous to say it, but I'll, I'll try my best to explain it as we move forward here. But unfortunately for me, Kyle Connor is just a brutal victim of circumstance. You know, watching the highlights of the three moments that will follow on this list, watching the playoffs down south right now in the NHL, there's just something irreplaceable about having fans in the arenas. There's, there's no other way about it. You know, and, and I think of this goal happened, say, two years ago in front of a, a packed Bell MTS Plays crowd, it's probably it's probably got a case for number one, honestly. At the very least, it's going to be somewhere, you know, in the top three, let alone probably one or two. But I don't know. It just doesn't hold that same cachet compared to the other moments that are about to come here because it was in front of some tarps and, you know, the Bud Light Seltzer can who was an absolute hero, by the way, in the stands. But there, there wasn't the 15,000 that would have set this moment into the stratosphere. So I'm really curious to see if you guys agree or disagree with me on this one. But I have Kyle Connor's triple OT winner sweeping the McDavid's out of the postseason as the fourth best moment 
in Jets 2.0 playoff history. Now, the top three, I actually, I, I knew what my number one was going to be the entire time, but I flip-flopped two and three because I went back and I watched the highlights of each game. And once I watched the highlights, to me, there was no doubt that I initially got it wrong, but I wanted to make sure I got it right. So here's my third best moment in Jets playoff history. I'm going to go with game one of the Western Conference final against the Vegas Golden Knights, a series that ended in heartbreak for Winnipeg, but it started off on just the highest of high notes. Now, this is one I think pretty much everyone... I imagine is going to disagree with me on and this is a little more personal for me as to why I have it ahead of Cal Connors triple OT winner but kind of taking you behind the scenes and behind the curtains a little bit I had the really really good fortune in that Western Conference final series for doing some work for NBC maybe the main reason I have it so high is because they paid me in American dollars for the series shout out exchange rate but the main thing is that, you know, my job was to set up the intermission uh, pre- and post-game interviews. And I don't know how they pulled this off, but I was allowed to actually stand on the glass where the Zamboni came out of. And I got to watch games 1, 2, and 5 of the Western Conference Final at ice level. So for me on a personal level... At the very least, it's something I'll never forget because I got to witness the intensity of conference final hockey basically inches away from the play. And it's so hard to explain unless you've been there. And for any fan that sits somewhere near the ice right along the glass, you know, they'd be able to describe it in a similar fashion. But it honestly felt like a cage match. It felt like a backyard back alley brawl there was intensity just dripping through every single moment I've never seen anything like it now keep in mind too this isn't even the number one or two playoff moment for me in Jets history but there was just something about watching it live and up close and personal like that that is definitely going to stick with me and is, is probably my best in-game viewing experience that I've ever seen. It was it was just remarkable. And that first game, there was, you know, it's easy to forget now, but a real sense that the Winnipeg Jets are going to the FN Stanley Cup final, right? Like Vegas was the underdog in that matchup because it really was Jets-Preds. It seemed like that was the battle for who's going to represent the West in the Stanley Cup final. And so the electricity and the anticipation in the air was, it was just through the roof. It was something else. And when Dustin Bufflin skates down the wing early to kick off the Western Conference Final and goes absolutely clap bomb past Marc-Andre Fleury, and, you know, again, personally for me, skates right beside me and the Jets are celebrating a couple of inches in front of me, it was just a magical moment. That There's no other way to put it. And then Patrick Liney scores a power play goal in the first period. The crowd goes even even crazier at that point. The Jets go on to win it. And, you know, I remember thinking to myself after that game, Cinderella's run ends right now. There's just no way this ragtag group of misfits has the firepower to compete with the Winnipeg Jets. 
I just I thought the Jets had it in the bag, and it really did feel like the city felt that way too. So there was just something special about the Jets winning that game to kick off the conference finals. You're seven wins away from actually winning the Stanley Cup. To me, and again, it's probably just the fans in the stands that pushes that moment just ahead of Kyle Connor's OT winner against Edmonton and into the three spot of best moments in Jets 2.0 playoff history. Number two, this was no doubt about it the most anticipated series in Jets 2.0 playoff history. We talked about it a couple minutes ago, but Jets Preds. For the first time, I think the Winnipeg Jets had a legitimate rival. The teams hated each other. You had Subban Shifley as sort of a, a, a rivalry within a rivalry. And on top of that, to me, they were the two best teams in hockey during the regular season. So this was the matchup that everybody wanted to see in the hockey world, let alone here in Winnipeg. So you would think that when the Jets win Game 7 in Nashville to go to the conference final, that that's the easy choice for best moment of that matchup. But I don't think it's even close, and I think everyone agrees, and I think there's some people that would have this number one, to be honest with you. But my number two moment in Jets playoff history is Game 3. And most importantly, what I have to imagine is one of the greatest second periods in NHL playoff history. If you want to run through a wall to kick off this weekend, go back and watch the highlights on YouTube or NHL.com of the second period. I worked every single Jets game for the first nine years since the Jets came back to Winnipeg. And there have been some memorable, memorable moments in-game. But to me, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the craziest Bell MTS place ever got in-game, midway through the game, and there's a big caveat there because we'll get to that in just a second, but the craziest the rink has ever been during gameplay was that second period against the Nashville Predators, specifically not even the go-ahead goal in the period. It was goals two and three where everything just went completely off the rails. And go back and watch it. And this is where I, I really feel bad that Kyle Connor's OT goal didn't happen in front of the Bell MTS Place crowd. But Dustin Bufflin, again, goes hammer time past Pekka Rene to make it 3-2 after Nashville scored three straight goals in the first period. The place is just going nuts. And 18 seconds later, Jacob Truba is left wide open to the side of the Nashville net. Wheeler makes a great pass to find him. And there's that brief moment where Truba gets the pass. And, you know, he can't quite one-time it, so he kind of double clutches it. And you can see literally everybody in the stands, they're kind of in that, like, mid-crouch just about ready to roar because they want to make sure the puck goes in first. There's like a brief moment of silence. The puck goes in the net and all the crap hits the fan at that point. The place just goes nuts. And I still have goosebumps on my arms right now just thinking about it. But when Jacob Truba tied the game in the, in the second period there, I've just never seen anything like that at any sporting event, honestly. I've never seen a crowd go that crazy that nuts you know describe it and now honestly i wonder if i shouldn't put it at number one 
But I guarantee you anybody that was in the building that I think it was an afternoon game, actually. I, I can't even totally remember. But anybody that was in the building for that one, that's something they'll never forget. I, I can absolutely guarantee that. And then, you know, after the Truba goal, we have Bufflin actually taking the lead at the end of the second. The Bufflin shuffle comes out, which was unreal. I think a lot of people forget Nashville tied it in the third period. And it was actually Blake Wheeler who scored the winning goal with about five minutes to go in that one. I mean, that game was just something special. It's going to be tough to top, as far as just single games go, to top Jets-Preds game three in 2018. But there's no doubt for me, the second period will sit number two in my rankings of best moments in Jets playoff history. Now let's get to the top spot. What is the best moment in Jets playoff history? Again, I I wonder if people are going to completely disagree with me on this one or if once I explain my rationale behind it, people are like, you know what? Maybe that is right. But I got to go back to the OG. My best moment in Jets 2.0 playoff history is the return of the wideout. 2014, the first playoff game of Jets 2.0 history. And I'm not even going to go with the game itself. Honestly, what stands out the most to me about that one, and this will never be topped anywhere, any game, any league, any city, this will never be beat. It's it's maybe my most memorable moment, honestly, of watching any Jets game here in Winnipeg. Everybody was in their seats during the freaking pregame skate. It was packed. There, I've been to so many games in different sports in different cities that weren't half as loud as the crowd was during the pregame skate of that first game in Winnipeg against Anaheim. I, I just, I know for a fact I'll never see anything like that again. And to me, it wasn't even the matchup so much, but it was just the the aura, the energy, the intensity, the vibe, just everything you could feel in the crowd during that game. That's something that just cannot be replicated ever again. And to me, that's probably the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind when I look back at watching Jets games here in Winnipeg. Just what that was like. That experience of, of seeing 15,000 people getting to wear the white again. Getting to experience something they thought they would never have the chance to do again. So for me, that is my number one moment in playoff history. It might be the pregame skate, honestly, but I'll just go, I'll just call it the return of the whiteout. Sits atop the rankings. Let me know again if you guys agree or disagree with that on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. I'd love to hear your responses. You know what? And, and when we come back on Tuesday's episode, I'll read the best of the best. I'll, I'll get to all your comments about where and, and what your rankings are about the best playoff moments in Jets history. But that'll be a fun way to kick off next week's show. Plus, we'll talk Jets round two against either Toronto or Montreal. Now, quickly, before we get to our food interview to close out this week's run of episodes, playoff time in hockey. It's also playoff time in basketball right now. DraftKings has 20K in total prizes up for grabs every single day. And it's free to enter. Because DraftKings free-to-play pools give you a shot at $20,000 every single day. You just go to pools when you download the DraftKings app. You answer some questions that are as easy as who scores first, who hits the most threes. 
and you get a chance to win a bunch of money. And remember, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Now, we couldn't make this work for this week's episode, but really, really excited to have Cowhouse on for next Friday. So stay tuned for that one. One of my favorite spots. A lot of you guys have requested that we talk to them. So Cowhouse is coming up on Friday. In the meantime, though, we'll go back into the vault. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one that we recorded back in February. Very pleased now to be joined with the owner and executive chef of Feast Cafe Bistro here in Winnipeg, Krista Gunther. Krista, how's it going tonight? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. So I I wanted to start off, it's funny how weird life is sometimes because we had emailed back and forth uh, a little while ago and I'm trying to think when this was. It would have been a couple weeks, I think, and I was just doing some prep. And I always have the Food Network on in the background at my house. And I was I was talking with my wife, and I was I was just trying to double check on how to pronounce your last name and all that. And yeah. she's like, "Oh, well, it's right there." And it was you on TV. You were on Big Food Bucket List. So it was oh. it was just funny how it works like that. But what was that all like? Oh, that was. I mean, that was taped. Um, you know, you're almost almost close to two years ago. So the pandemic kind of you know delayed things, but. That was a really exciting time and an amazing experience. And it was like two full days of filming for, you know, I think it was nine minutes, but it was um, oh, wow. a great experience for staff and a great opportunity to showcase uh, what we're doing over there at the restaurant. So, yeah, lots of fun. And John Catucci, how you see him on TV, that's actually his personality. He is who he is. He's so funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, and for those that don't know, you're no stranger to uh, TV and the Food Network because you're also a judge on Wall of Chefs. Yes, I was. Another really memorable experience. And for me, I was, you know, I'm just a home cook turned restaurateur. So to, I did not know all the other chefs that were going to be there and to show up to see some of the chefs that I have been learning from and watching on Food Network over the years on the same wall as me was a little intimidating, I have to say, but uh, also was a true honor to be there. You know, I was going to, I've always wondered this when, when I watch judges on cooking competitions, is it like major anxiety levels watching the home cooks and watching the amateurs try and like with all these crazy time constraints and everything, try and get a dish out on time? Yeah, if there's, you know, some TV is maybe not so real, but when it comes to these competition shows, it's real. The pressure is real. You get so nervous for for the contestants. Um, it gets, you know, they make, you know, sometimes they drop things or they burn themselves. And, you know, you feel for them. And it's, uh, we were on the edge of our seats for a lot of the competition. So it was, oh, yeah, it was lots of fun. Now, we had Mandel Hitzer from Deer and Almond on a couple weeks ago, uh, one of your, I guess, co-judges on the show. And we, we talked about his three fridge items. There's a segment where the cooks have to use three items that are in one of the chef's fridge. Did, did you ever get a chance to do your fridge? And if not, what would your three fridge items be? <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? 
I have so I cook so many different types of food. So for you know, I think a lot of that was the producers kind of influenced some of that. But I think for my fridge, oh my goodness, to make it interesting and complicated, I would probably have to say, oh, something to do with. I always have wild rice in my pantry. Okay. Um, I would definitely want to say pickerel, something with pickerel. And a unique item would be like roasted red peppers and oil. I always have those in my Ooh. fridge. So maybe something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot better than yeah, mine. Was I was like mustard, hot sauce. <laughs> Enough about TV. Let's get to Feast. That's why you're here. Could you just uh, let our listeners know how Feast Cafe Bistro got started? Well, it was not something I ever dreamed of doing. I never thought I would ever open up a restaurant or be a, a restaurateur. I'm just a home cook and um, just been cooking for family and friends. And my previous business was actually a licensed childcare um, uh, business. So I, I actually learned a lot about food and how powerful food is to the body, the mind, and the soul, and it's particularly reconnecting to your culture through food. And I'm a French Métis, so, um, you know, I just did a lot of work within our communities over the years and developing recipes and reconnecting to my culture through food. And I have a really large garden now, and I grow a lot of our traditional foods, and so I'm always incorporating that into um, a lot of my recipes. And... So the opportunity kind of just presented itself to me, and after I did research, realizing there was only a handful of Indigenous restaurants across the whole country to represent our communities, our culture, our food, our people, I just felt a responsibility that, you know, I have to do this. I really want to give this experience to customers. I want to highlight our traditional foods from this great land and bring some of those home-cooked meals into the restaurants, and here we are. And on your website, you have, I guess, a description, modern food rooted in First Nations traditions. Can you maybe just explain the thinking behind that? And then also what's what the balance is like between, you know, wanting to honor the traditions and, and recognizing the past, but also maybe moving things into the modern day? That is exactly just how I eat at home. Um, you know, I'm a busy mom of three and, you know, um, I've always been an active person and, and always doing things on the go and working. And so that's how I eat at home. At home sorry. It's about how do I incorporate as many traditional Indigenous ingredients into a dish at home that's realistic to cook, that's good, and that's, um, you know, using some of those ingredients. So that's why it's called modern dishes rooted in traditional first nation foods for example we have you know buffalo lasagna so instead of using beef we use our bison in that dish um for example you know pickerel sliders you know we have you know tomatoes and you know dill aioli on top but you know we're highlighting the pickerel our traditional tacos you know they have bison corn four kinds of beans which are all traditional um, fry bread which is a bit decadent but wonderful and bison so just and there's maple in the drizzle. So just trying to pull as many foods from our Indigenous culture into each dish and, and really just highlighting that part of it. But using foods that people are, or dishes that people are familiar with, so like the Bannock, you know, pizza and things like that, that people want to come back and have time and time again. 
And we'll get to the Bannock in just a second, but your journey from home cook to, to restaurant, and it's funny because we were talking before this started for those that don't know, and you were very, very humble and hesitant to use the word executive chef, but you are a chef now, even though you started off as a home cook, but what what's that transition like where you're like a lot of people that listen here where you don't have any experience in the food business and, and you make the jump? I, I guess just tell us what that was like at the start. Yeah, I don't know. I think I... I like I said, when you Google what, you know, what a chef is and, you know, it's somebody that's been trained or, you know, has uh, a lot of experience in the hospitality industry and restaurant business, which I've never done. I've never gone to culinary school. I've never, you know, been a cook in the, in, in the back of a restaurant. So, you know, it was one, a huge learning curve for me because cooking at home is very different than cooking for hundreds of people every day in a, you know, a restaurant commercial kitchen. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to be called a chef. And I think when you're developing recipes and people are loving them, I guess you get to be called a chef. <laughs> well, I'll say from personal experience, it's inspiring to me because, you know, I, I kind of want to make that jump at some point. And, and even like, you know, watching Wall of Chefs to see you up there with some of the big names in, in cooking in Canada, I, I think it is inspiring to see that, hey, you know what, it is actually possible. Yeah, I think that's the. I think that was the, the funnest part for me to be on Wall of Chefs was just seeing all these extremely talented home cooks, and I think that helps other people to relate to you more when you. And it's it's inspiring to people that really know how to cook good food and food that tastes good. You know, it's definitely something. You know, you don't have to be a trained chef to open up a restaurant. You just have to have really good food, and you have to be able to work long hours and just persevere and just take that leap and go for it now we'll jump over to your menu at feast and the one thing that kind of sticks out right at the jump is that you're using bannock in very untraditional ways at least at least to me when i look at it was that always the plan for you is to try to incorporate bannock in in as different in as many ways as possible yeah i think so because i think if you look at any restaurants that kind of are good grub and in the community that people enjoy going to there's a lot of bread on everything burgers you know pizzas pastas those kinds of things so that's a very common thing that you're going to see those staples on a restaurant menu so why not make it something different and use our traditional you know bannock or native bread in place of you know where you would see maybe traditional bread um, just for something different and i mean bannock has a long history among our communities but at the same time for the healthy eaters out there most of the menu was designed to actually um, sub out the bannock if you want to pass on that and sub a, a hand, local handmade corn tortilla in place of it, and it will still be delicious. It's still traditional. Um, corn, corn is, uh, you know, one of our three sisters. So there's some options there to, um, to, to have different options for everything. Now, I believe I read this correctly, but your aunt taught you kind of the secret of, of making bannock. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, she's the only one that I ever made bannock with, and so she. I have such fond memories of making it with her. And if if anybody's made baked bannock in particular, it you can have a recipe, but it will be different every single time. It's all about technique. It's all about your energy. She would always say, "You have to put love into your bannock, otherwise it won't turn out. It'll be dense <laughs> or it won't be fluffy." So it's just there's some teachings behind it about you know. Um, having good intentions and good thoughts and and learning that technique um, in order for it to be what what it's supposed to be. 
And what exactly goes into Bannock? I, I I haven't had it since I was, you know, back in grade school, I don't think. But can you, you don't have to give me all the secrets, but yeah. just kind of the, you know, the, the baseline of what goes into it. Yeah, it's extremely simple. Um, you know, traditionally they would use, they would have used lard, but now you can use healthy oils like olive oil, canola oil, avocado oil, grapeseed mm-hmm. oil, vegetable oil. But they're simple, simple ingredients. It's just flour. Again, you can use whole wheat flour. You can use um, white flour. There's so many amazing flours out there. But it's flour, baking powder, salt, a pinch of sugar, and your oil and warm water. So it's an unleavened bread in essence. But okay. if you overmix it, it could be dense. And so it's all about the texture, how much you mix it. And again, good intentions. Good intentions, <laughs> love, positivity. Yeah. That's hey, yeah. I, hey, at least I can get that down. I don't know about baking or anything else, but at least I can get that part down. Yeah. So when it comes to the pizza, is is there one that maybe stands out that your customers love the most, or one that's maybe near and dear to your heart? Definitely the Bannock pizza, the butternut squash Bannock pizza. I that is to me the squash is one of the most humble, underused superfood in the world. It's one of the three sisters, which is beans, corn, and squash. So extremely healthy. It grows very well here in Manitoba. So I thought, how am I going to get people to enjoy squash? Why not try and put it on pizza and on the bannock pizza at that? And so it's become one of my top sells. It's delicious. It's something totally different, and people are loving it, and it's my favorite. And it also has, you know, my my pizza hot take is that I actually prefer white sauce over marinara. So I appreciate mm. you having one of the. I know a lot of people don't like me when I say that, but <laughs> I, I just think it's the truth. What are some of the other popular menu items? You mentioned the squash pizza. What are some of the other ones yeah. that people seem to go crazy for? Well, our bison dip. Um, if you really want to experience, you know, some local Manitoba bison, the bison dip is like a take on the beef dip, where you have the jus mm. on the side. So delicious. Um, it's, you know, it gives you a really good experience with bison. You taste the sweetness. It's, I mean, bison is so lean and sweet and this dip is extremely tender. So that's a really popular one. You can have it on the bannock or the corn tortilla. Um, our bison ribs are also, we sell out every time we, um, put them up on a special, we have them in our, you know, dine-in catering, our dine-in menu, sorry, but, um, with COVID we've been just putting it out at specials, but those are absolutely, they're braised for hours and hours and hours. And we have a wild blueberry barbecue sauce. Those Mm. are delicious. Um, and of course for the fish lovers out there, Manitoba pickerel, you can't go wrong. Absolutely. (laughs) Those are kind of the two staple proteins on your menu, right? Bison and pickerel. Is that kind of like an homage to the, to the first nations traditions? Yeah, I really, you know, a lot of people at first were wary because I don't have beef on my menu. And I just really wanted, I mean, the bison traditionally has taught us resilience and perseverance and strength and courage. And so to be able to honor um, the animal and the history that it holds among our communities in the restaurant and pay homage to it and have mostly all bison in place of beef on my menu was important. And it's uh, so far it's been great. And uh, people love bison. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. You know, and yeah. I, I love the the spirituality. Are there any other things when it comes to, to First Nations traditions and cooking that there's, I don't, I don't want to say misconceptions necessarily, but just some things that the average person might not know about that type of cuisine? Yeah, I think for us, you know, at, 
in the restaurant, I try and um, source as many in- ingredients from Indigenous communities first and foremost, and then we go into our local farmers after that. But I think the essence of what we do at Feast, which stems, you know, among our elders and our history, is to really honour what goes on in that kitchen. We honour the sacred vegetables. We um, we we give thanks to all the protein that comes and all the animals uh, meat that comes through that back door. And we think about that, and we um, we're, we're really thankful because a lot of those animals do give of their of their lives to nourish our bodies. And so we keep that spirit and energy um, when we're when we're preparing food for our customers when we're making our food. And I think you just taste it in the food, and it makes a difference. And I think that's where feast really has come from. I mean, feasting has been a part of Indigenous culture for hundreds of years among First Nation communities all across Turtle Island. So, you know, it, food is really a way to celebrate and share stories and honour the land and respect the animals. And it's a form of ceremony and healing and medicine. So we, that's kind of the, the connection that we have to our food, um, especially at the restaurant. The traditional teepee tacos, I have to imagine people, people go a little nuts for that one, right? Yeah, you, before we were here, you could only get them out of powwow or, you know, it's very, you don't, you can't get them anywhere else. It's something totally different and it's a, it's an amazing, actually I had one the other day and I haven't had one in a very long time and it was just so good. <laughs> I forget how good it is. But uh, yeah, there's something to be reckoned with. Now you also have a feast grab and go market. Is that, is that something that came up during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, we were catering was kind of our bread and butter. We did a lot of catering over the years, um, especially being the year of reconciliation. So there was a lot of events surrounding that. So having traditional foods there was really important part of that. And so we have a lot of different items and food that's not on our, you know, uh, sorry, our cafe dine-in menu. So we thought during the pandemic, because we're closed for dining, why not sell some of those other foods that we make and people enjoy and do it so people can pick it up. It's all cooked, ready to go. It's frozen, feeds two to four people. You can pop it in the oven and dinner is served. (laughs) Which is perfect, especially when you're serving things like bison shepherd's pie and bison lasagna, which thank you for putting that out there into the universe. (laughs) It's about time. Yeah, I think, you know, bison is, some people might be worried to try bison, but it has 85% less fat than beef. It's humanely raised. It's, you know, hormone-free. It's antibiotic-free. It's as close as you're going to get to a wild animal. And, you know, it has a sweeter, leaner flavor than beef. And if people haven't tried bison, please, I just try it. I, I promise you, you'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the, the market that you've come up with here, we, we all know restaurants right now have to find ways to pivot and adapt during these really, really tough times. Are, are there some other things that you guys have had to, I guess, add to your repertoire over the last couple of months? Yeah, you know, right when we closed, of course, it was like an immediate shutdown. And so we had all this product left in our fridges. And, of course, we're not going to let anything go to waste because we appreciate and honor a lot of our food and our ingredients. So I ended up making a whole bunch of meal kits and just contacted um, organizations that I've already been connected to on the grassroots level and said, hey, I have all this food. And we ended up processing all of our food 
um, in the kitchen and just donating it. And it just warmed the hearts of so many families that were struggling, especially because the pandemic was just so scary at first. and Everybody was, you know, um, unable to go grocery shopping and scared. So we were really able to impact the community in that way. And so that kind of, you know, triggered us. Uh, thought in my mind to say, why don't we offer meal kits for organizations or for others to even purchase for, you know, families in need or for healthcare workers that are working around the clock and, you know, and provide meal kits that have all the ingredients and a very easy recipe for them to follow that could feed them six to eight meals or even have leftovers. So we did that um, over time, and then we just actually um, wrapped up a GoFundMe, which was actually across the country with Indigenous um, Culinary Association of Nations, and we ended up feeding, um, oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families wow. across the country. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, I mean, <laughs> the generosity, especially with members of the food community in Manitoba, never really ceases to amaze me. And, and that's yeah. so great to hear. And, and I know you have the Holiday Paid Forward uh, program on your website as well, which yeah. I think is kind of on a, on a similar sort of a vein, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Krista, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to share. Well, we have one last one to get you out of here on, and it's the, the same question that we ask everybody on their way out the door. What would the Feast Cafe Bistro game day menu item B. If you could just pick one thing, what would be Feast's game day choice? Oh, one thing? Or, oh, or a couple if you want, if you can't okay. decide. I'll, I'll, I, I will allow it. One, I, you know what? I hear it every time. It, to me, you got to go with either the Bison Burger because people say it's the best burger they ever had or you got to go get that Spanish pizza and get the big grab-and-go one so you can Cook it in your own, you know, get it hot right out of your own oven for those ribs. <laughs> that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> so I couldn't just pick one. No, no. Hey, <laughs> and you're selling, you're selling cold ones too. So if we're going to, yeah. if we're going to break all the rules, why not throw a couple drinks on top of it as well? Yeah, exactly. We have local beer. You know, that's the great thing that uh, during COVID we're, we're able to now, you know, you can grab a bottle of wine with your food. Don't have to stop at a second, you know, location to get beer or wine. You can just pick some up on your way with your food and then you can go relax and enjoy the Jets game. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much, Krista. Uh, before you go, maybe just let our listeners know where, whether it's social media, your website, where they can get a hold of you and uh, how they can try out all your tasty menu options. Yeah, the best place to go is our website. It has everything there. And then you can also click on our social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram from there. We also deliver. We don't uh, participate any in any third-party uh, delivery apps at this time. So if you need delivery, we can do that too. Awesome. Well, again, Krista, thanks so much for joining me. All right. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're back on Tuesday. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. And you've been listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.